0: The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our Old Testament reading comes to us from the chapter 8 of Exodus. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go in to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and into your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come out on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I'm to plead for you and for your servants and your people that the frogs may be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And Pharaoh said, tomorrow, Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields. And they gathered them together in heaps and the land stank. But when Moses saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, that it may became, become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, "'Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water. "'And say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. "'Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you "'and your servants and your people and into your houses. "'And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies "'and also the ground on which they stand.' But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses, Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, behold, I'm going out from you and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. God, we thank you for your word, the story of your grace. My wife and I, we've entered a new stage as a family. And it's a stage that's very sweet and a stage that's very scary at the same time. The stage when your kids are old enough to be left alone. It's sweet because my wife and I can have a date. We can look each other in the eyes and hold a conversation for more than 30 seconds. But it's scary that when we return home, we don't always know what we're going to find. Will the house be held together? Will the smallest one be held in a headlock by the larger one? And I'll sometimes quote the title of William Golding's book when we were arrive home a little longer than is probably healthy for these young ones to be without superf- supervision. I'll say this, it is Lord of the Flies in here. If you don't know the story of The Lord of the Flies, it's about a group of young boys who find themselves alone on a deserted island. And as the story devolves and the children are given no adult supervision or direction, they create this society in which rules and order is held together through things like intimidation, violence, and ultimately murder. Thankfully, and by God's grace, we've never been out on a date long enough to see anything to that degree with our kids. But as we walk into Egypt and see specifically in Exodus 8, the same thing. We could say, it's Lord of the Flies in here. Instead of the Egyptians listening to their first parent God as the one who establishes healthy order and rules and how to live, the Egyptians have made up their own assortment of gods who they believe can hold their civilization together. And they've given ultimate godlike power to one man, Pharaoh, who uses intimidation, violence, and murder to maintain order. And they believe, the Egyptians believe, Pharaoh as God has the button on controlling the gods. The gods who give them their water source, their food supply, their weather, their health, their children. Everything which can hold them together as a people belongs to the gods of whom Pharaoh is in charge of. What could possibly go wrong there? That's our human condition. From the beginning of humankind, we attempt to hold the world together with our own two tiny little hands. Hands which were stained with the juice of a forbidden fruit. Hands which then pointed the finger of blame at the other. Eve made me do it. The devil made me do it. God, you put that serpent in the garden, so you must have made me do it. Hands which would hold leaves up over our bodies to cover our shame. Hands which would murderously be held around a brother's neck out of jealousy and kill him. When we sang, we've got the whole world in our hands, guess what happened? It fell apart. Just look around today. There's nothing new under the sun. You see it in Egypt. You see it in the United States of America. The plot of the Lord of the Flies is flying around us today. We're still attempting to hold the entire world in our tiny little hands, ignoring the guiding hand of the one who made this world, where we get to say what's right and wrong. And this week, as all of the political ads on your phone or on the TV or in your mail are filled with these moral grounds of rightness. I'm the right person. I'm the right candidate. But at the same time, that right candidate is smashing and bashing to the ground their opponent. How could that be right? More and more people in our news are being canceled for making anti-this or anti-that remarks until guess what's going to happen? We're all going to get canceled. One songwriter put it really well with her song titled, Who's going to fix it if it's nobody's fault? And in our personal lives, we have embedded in us these two tablets of Ten Commandments of self-righteousness. And if someone does things apart from how we would do it, then we classify them as guilty and punish them with our gossip, with our distance, with our sneer. But when we break our own Ten Commandment rules... We justify it with, I didn't mean that. I was just having a bad day. We've got the whole world in our hands. And it's falling apart. Or is it? Could it be that in the falling apart, the coming undone, that the Lord is working a piecing back together, a making of all things new again, a bringing calm to chaos, peace to pandemic? As we walk through the next several chapters of Exodus, And are given a highlight to the Egyptian Lord of the Flies plot. We have ten plagues, ten strikes against Egypt by God. And we see in these ten plagues what some commentators call a decreation. God's systematically taking apart what people thought could hold them together. And we're given sight to the true Lord of the flies and the frogs. And the fleas. It's not in our hands. It's not in Pharaoh's hands. The world is in greater hands than all of ours. We see that all things, whether ginormously great or squintingly small, are held together by the Lord of them all. All things, whether great or small, are held together by the Lord of them all. And if he's the one who holds all these things together, we must plead for him to be our peace, to be our shalom, to be the one who holds us together. What must we plead specifically? What does asking the Lord to be our peace, to be the one who holds us together, sound like, according to Exodus 8? Well, three simple prayers, and I'll begin with the first one. It's this. Lord, of all things great and small, be my only source of life. We'll ask verses 1 to 15 this question. What in the world do frogs have anything to do with peace? If we think God doesn't have a sense of humor, then you haven't read Exodus 8. Frogs, to the Egyptian, were sacred and holy creatures. Frogs were representatives of, the, of Egypt's goddess of life. Her name was Heket, And Heket was the wife of the god Num. And Num was the creator god. He was a potter. And he would have a spinning wheel, a potter's wheel, in which he would form the bodies of people on that wheel. And then Heket, his wife, whose head was that of a frog would then breathe life into Noom's creation. That potter's wheel. Noom creating the body and Hecate breathing that body into life. It was like an ancient scene from the movie Ghost. The potter's wheel, you remember that? Hecate and Noom making that person. The rules then in Egypt's culture were this. You were never, ever allowed to kill a frog. Because a frog was a symbol to the goddess who gave you life. Do not touch them. Frog necklaces were made to be put around the necks of pregnant women as they entered into the pain of childbirth. So they'd call upon Hecate to get them through and bring the child into the world breathing. Frog's head. And God then, in his swift and humorous judgment, covers Egypt like a blanket with frogs, with what their own hands have crafted into their symbol of life. Frogs, frogs in their houses, their bedrooms, their marriage beds, their bread bowls, their ovens, millions of frogs crawling all over everyone, including Pharaoh. It touched him. And Pharaoh was the one who supposedly had the power to hold all of these gods back. And it's on top of him, these frogs. God's justice is making Pharaoh remember what you did to those Hebrew baby boys. What you did when you snuffed out their life by throwing them dead in the Nile as the frogs come out of the Nile in droves. Pharaoh can't kill them. Because he would be committing heresy against his gods. And his magicians, poof, make frogs appear. But that doesn't seem to impress Pharaoh this time. He doesn't want more frogs. There's plenty of them. He wants them out of his Egyptian cotton sheets at night. Get him out of here. Pharaoh in chapter 5, a few chapters back, asked the mocking question, Who is the Lord? And guess who he's now pleading Moses and Aaron call upon to help in the situation? The Lord, Yahweh. He says, pray to Yahweh to get these things off of me and I will let you go. And Moses, in further humiliation of Pharaoh, asks, when do you want that to happen? He's letting Pharaoh decide the terms of the relief. So Pharaoh can see that when it happens, it will be on God's watch, not his own, to make that happen. And so Pharaoh says, tomorrow. Tomorrow? then watch what God is able and you are not able to do tomorrow. Moses' words in verse 10 pack a punch to Pharaoh's ego. You shall know there is no one like the Lord our God. Not even you, Pharaoh. Not even you. And then in verse 13, we smell the humiliation of Egypt, of their source of life, represented in the frog, as they smell the stink Of death. There's no other source of life or peace but the Lord our God. None, none. Jesus, in his ministry, was gathering lots of fans, but very few followers. People were crowding in to see the miracles and maybe get their own dose of healing or bread from him until his preaching got weird. Jesus preached in John 6 this Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life. Jesus reclaims Hecate's role as the source and the giver of life. And what happens? Many of his disciples, they turn back. They no longer walk with him because they didn't believe the problem of their sin and death was as bad as it was. I'm going to find a more respectable source of life than that cannibalism that you're promoting right there, Jesus. But then, Jesus, when they're all leaving, when they're all scattering, he turns to Peter and he asks him, Peter, do you want to go too? And Peter's prayer, friends, is our prayer. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. The Lord is the only true source of life. Everything else you're searching to bring you life will eventually crawl out of the water, be put in your face, and God will serve to decreate it, making your world fall apart. Pharaoh then goes to Moses and Aaron and asks for relief from the frogs. But notice where he doesn't go. He doesn't go to the Lord for life. Pharaoh just wants relief from what his sin and the consequences of his sin has made happen. He doesn't want relief actually from his sin. Just the consequences of his sin. That's what keeps him dead inside. You see this all of the time with human beings. You see this all of the time with abusers. They'll say to their victim, I'm sorry I hit you. And the reason they're saying that is not because they're really sorry for their sin of hitting someone. They're sorry so that that victim will not go to the cops. Will not go and find their consequence of their sin so that they'd get arrested or taken out of the house. No. They're just sorry for the consequence. And they're trying to clean up the consequence. So when the abused victim accepts their apology and says, okay, and moves back in, what happens? What changes? Nothing. The pattern of abuse continues. When Pharaoh's given relief for the consequence of his sin, what happens to his heart? Nada. Because the Lord is not where he's going to find life. He's going to human solutions. So I'm asking us, where are you turning to find life? What has become your substitute source of life? Who or what are you going to that promises relief, but is only multiplying irritation? Lord, of all things great and small, be my only source of life. Secondly, second prayer. Lord, of all things great and small, bring order to my chaos. Let's look at the next judgment, next plague in 16 to 19. Pharaoh continues to hold his ground. He's not letting him go. He thought he's manipulated Moses and the Lord enough to be left alone. And then, without a warning, the Lord uses the ground to show Pharaoh he has no ground to stand upon. Moses, as a god to Pharaoh, orders his prophet Aaron to strike the dust of the earth so that gnats invade all of the land of Egypt. And they become like the dust of the earth. The ESV translates this plague as Nat, but it might be more accurate to read the word as a word which every parent of an elementary school student dreads to read in their email inbox. We have an outbreak of lice. You feeling the itch? God uses one of the smallest, almost microscopic weapons to fight Pharaoh's army Pharaoh's heart and the Egyptians and the lice comes from the dust of the earth countering their god Baalzebul which is the Lord of the gnats the dust of the earth what else came from the dust of the earth The Lord God formed every human being from the dust of the earth. Pharaoh's human magicians can't replicate it. They can't make human beings. They can't make these gnats, these lice. They've reached their limit and they state in verse 19, this is the finger of God. The finger of God, they admitted, this battle is beyond my pay grade. The Lord is decreating their view that any human beings can bring order from chaos And God is bringing chaos to their created order. If you ask any large family, Nielsens, what can happen when tiny things make their way into your house? Things like head lice or scabies or stomach flu or rotavirus or COVID-19. Everybody gets it. The pandemic, friends, was our modern day gnats, wasn't it? Where we as human beings erred to believe we had the power to order chaos. But the finger of God is the only source of that order. In Psalm 8, David, he's describing all of creation, the moon and the stars which you have set into place by the work of your finger. And by finger, you need to think pinky. God could set the entire universe into motion by the movement of his pinky. How's that for a perspective shift of who's in charge? When Moses would be given the law of God, the Ten Commandments of how life works best, how are they written, Moses says, with the finger of God. Pharaoh refused to listen to his elders that this Lord was the one in charge of order. Anyone in power here like to have their power questioned or their authority challenged? Nope. And the Egyptians believed that Pharaoh had the power and authority to maintain order in the universe. That was Pharaoh's authority. And so as the back of his head itched and itched, and as the back of every Egyptian's head itched and itched, the Lord was using these little chaotic creatures to reveal to Pharaoh personally and professionally who's in charge right now. And Pharaoh refused to believe it. I want to ask us the question, where might the Lord be picking at your skin with the smallest of irritants to show you that you yourself cannot bring or maintain order to chaos? One psychologist asked a pressing question of people in authority pastors, he, she asked the question this, when someone bumps your cup, what comes out? I try and keep our kitchen clean. Love clean kitchen. And what happens when I start making something right after I sweep and mop and wipe off the counters? What happens? Inevitably, I dump all over the floor a measure of flour or powdered sugar or rice. And what comes out of me? What comes out of you? Does what come out of you point to the finger of God at work in you? Or does what come out what comes out of you is like Pharaoh where you're giving the finger to God? God wants to order your chaos. So pray, Lord, of all things great and small, bring order to my chaos. And finally, the final prayer. Lord, of all things great and small, may your sovereign grace be my safest place. Verses 20 to 32. We'll begin a new set of plagues. They go in threes until the last one. And you see Moses again meeting Pharaoh near the water of the Nile like he did with the first plague. The first plagues, the first three, were the plagues that were coming from out of the earth. A river of blood, frogs, gnats. But the next three set of plagues are focused on decreating all the things that walk upon the earth. Creatures. And it begins with flies. You ever been on a camping trip during a season of black flies, biting flies? Talk about bumping your cup and what comes out. Or ever in your house, have you ever had a single huge fly buzzing around your house and you cannot get him? But here in Egypt, the flies were so numerous, the Hebrew word describes them as heavy. The same word used to describe God's glory. The flies were heavy upon them in their house and on the ground. Heavy would be the flies and the glory of God. But one thing is remarkably different in this new set of plagues and beyond. What is it? Do you see it in verse 22? I will set apart the land of Goshen. Goshen, which means land of comfort. Land of plenty. You will not find a single black fly where my people are, the Lord promises. He says, I will put a divide. I will put, he actually says literally, redemption between your people, the people who are attempting to hold the world together with their own hands, and my people, the people who by faith and by God's mysterious choosing believe that the Lord is the only one who can hold the world together. And Moses steals Pharaoh's timing and says, tomorrow this is going to happen. Flies will ruin your land But the land of Goshen where the chosen people of God dwell, it's going to be a safe place. How? Through the word that's repeated in verses 8, 25, 26, 29. Through sacrifice. God's rule will set apart a people as safe through sacrifice. As the black flies of God's wrath against sin will eat away at the Egyptians... The sacrifice of Jesus, the protection of Jesus, will eat away at him until he's completely consumed with death and the people under him and uh, and being covered by him are safe. All of the land of Goshen is the wall of sacrifice. The hands and feet of Jesus' cross are saying all that powerful wrath and curse of death, you cannot touch my people who found their protection in me. The division is clear, the dividing line is clear. Faith in the Lord of the flies, the frogs and the fleas. Jesus, be our only source of protection and peace. Your sovereign grace, your forgiveness, your covering is my safest place to hide. See Christ's hands and feet encompassing that safe, flyless people. Some final applications to these prayers, which I'm going to use this morning For the sake of time to close in prayer. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord of all things great and small. Be our only source of life. We can't have babies. We can't keep our kids alive. We can't be pro-life just in the voting booth or in our daily practice. Without your spirit's breath giving us that life. Help us breathe in your word. Breathe in your son Jesus. Taking him in as we breathe out the carbon monoxide of other things that can't keep us alive. Lord, I pray cautiously but carefully. Would you multiply the frogs with their slime and their stink. To help us to see where it is we're looking for life apart from you. And you would you recreate us into a spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-listening people? Lord, of all things great and small, would you bring order to our chaos? Help us to give up lordship over our universe, our time, our jobs, our families, our clean kitchens, our colicky children, and instead... Allow your finger to point us away from temptation and point us to the only one who can comfort us in the chaos of our sin or our suffering, the Lord Jesus Christ, who holds all things together and who is our peace. And Lord, of all things great and small, may your sovereign grace be our safest place, be our Goshen. The enemy has no hold or power over those who hide in the wrath-consuming death of Jesus. Help me every day to hide myself safely within his sacrifice. Soften our hearts with his sacrifice so that we can enter into Goshen, not pridefully believing it's up to me to hold my world together, but by praying in Jesus' name that he would hold our world together. Help us to every day allow Christ to hold our heart and hold the rest of our world and the rest of the world perfectly and powerfully together. We pray this in his interceding name, the name of Jesus and all God's people said.